Scripture, we're in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, I invite you to open your Scriptures there, Hebrews chapter 11. Looking at verses 5 and 6 this morning. Now, last week I went the whole time without ever turning on my microphone. People said, well, I couldn't tell. I guess they're saying I'm loud. Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6, this morning. You're reading from the English Standard Version. We read, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let's pray for the message this morning. Father, thank you for your word. It's faithful and it's true. I pray that it would penetrate our hearts and lives this morning. Lord, as we look at how to please you, Lord, I pray that we'd walk out of this place knowing what it takes to please God. That it would be applied to our hearts and applied to our lives. May we be a changed people not because of great preaching, but because your word has penetrated our lives. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the title of this message is How to Please God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, What is the chief end of man? The answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It would seem that Enoch displayed this in his life. Enoch was so dear to God that he took him to himself without demanding that he suffer through death. Now what is interesting is in the account of Enoch's life in the book of Genesis chapter 5, there is no mention of his faith. Yet the statement we have here in Hebrews seems to be motivated by his faith. First it says that by faith Enoch pleased God, and then it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. We can be confident that Enoch was a man of faith, otherwise he would have never been able to please God. Now, here is the thing. The focus is on faith and pleasing God. I find this interesting, especially when we live in a time when our focus tends to be less on what is most pleasing to God and more on what is pleasing to others. We tend to be people pleasers, and often it is the same for pastors. I have seen pastors who try to ride the fence trying to please everyone they can to make sure that no one ever gets upset with them and they make sure they don't have to make any decisions that may rock the boat. Now there is a proper sense in which we do please other people. Paul even said that he tries to please everyone in everything. He does so. It is not uh, to say that we need to be needlessly offensive to other people But we also don't seek to please people above God. 
And we certainly don't attempt to please people while compromising the truth of God. However, we should correct those in error with grace and we should build others up in Christ. But there is much more important things than pleasing people. And that is pleasing God. I would say that when we seek to please God above all, then properly pleasing people will come. But at the same time, when we seek to please God above all else, then it means that we will at times be displeasing to people because they are opposed to God. If we live our life to please only other people, and God is ultimately displeased with our lives, then we are in trouble. However, if we live our lives to please God, and others are offended, then we have no worries as we enter into His eternal joy. The author of Hebrews takes us to the life of Enoch and reveals that Enoch is a man who pleased God. He lived during a very evil time on earth, which was just before the flood, where God judges the entire earth. This is what the book of Jude says about Enoch. It says this, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Boy, that sounds like a popular message, doesn't it? I mean, read it. How many times did I say ungodly right there? I doubt the things that Enoch was saying was pleasing to the ears of the people. Yet God was pleased with Enoch. So pleased with him that he took him straight to heaven. And what we specifically learn from these two verses is how it is that we please God. And the answer is by faith. There are three truths I want us to learn from these verses this morning. One, truth number one, our goal in life is to please God. Truth number two, we must have faith to please God. And truth number three, faith is a continuous action that covers a lifetime. So first, our goal in life is to please God. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? To which he responded with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It has been said, if you want to know what people really love, look at the checkbook. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Luke chapter 12, verse 34. So if we want to know where our heart is, then we must check our treasure. So if we want to really say, well, where's my heart at? Well, look at where your treasure's at. So it's, it's simple. Do we invest in the kingdom of God? Or do we only invest in our kingdom? When we love someone, we desire to please them. If we love God, then we desire to please God. I love what R.C. Sproul said. In his book, What is Faith? He says this, So many of us are practical atheists. We may be theoretical theists, but our lives betray a practical kind of atheism in that we don't live to please God. If we don't live to please God, it can only be because we do not really believe that He is worth our attention. If we love God, then we would desire to Please, God. Let me unpack that just a little bit. 
for us this morning. When we talk about our goal in life is to please God. First, pleasing God begins in our heart. Pleasing God begins in our heart. Have you ever pretended to be someone you're not? Like maybe you were in a school play or something, you had to act, or maybe you just like to pretend to be people, I don't know. But I think we've all done that. And I've found that it's it's relatively easy um, to fake out people in life. It's not that hard to, to fake people out. I mean, that's why we have identity theft so prevalent, because it's really not that hard to fake to be or pretend to, pretend to be somebody. In fact, we hear the saying, fake it until you make it. You ever heard that? Just fake it until you make it. Or are it? People tend to be naive because we can't see the motivations of someone else's heart. So we we can pretend like we uh, uh, care about someone and not really care about them. But that doesn't work with God, does it? Because God knows our heart. We can't fake it with Him. There's no faking God out. And that's scary because, um, in part because we can live a life that is moral... And we can live a life that looks very religious to other people. But God judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart through His Word, according to Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. Since God judges the heart and the intentions of our heart, then we must judge sin on the heart level as well. Which is why we are told in Mark chapter 7 that it is what comes out of a person that defiles them because out of the heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And why Paul tells us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Furthermore, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, by their, uh, but their heart is far from me. Praising or pleasing God begins in our heart. We must understand that that, that's where the pleasing of God starts. By our heart being captivated by the things of God and focusing in on Him and what pleases Him instead of what pleases us. We must examine our heart. We must examine our thoughts and ask ourselves where's our heart? Is it seeking to please God? Which then leads to this, to please God, we must draw near and seek Him. We must draw near and seek Him. Verse 6 says, whoever would draw near to God, and then it says that God rewards those who seek Him. Remember back to chapter 4, verse 16, where we are told with confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. And in chapter 7, verse 25, where we are told that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near. And in chapter 10, verse 1, where he says the Old Old Testament sacrifices can never make perfect those who draw near. And then in verse 22 of chapter 10, he encourages them to draw near with a true heart. So it's, it's pretty clear that there's a theme throughout the book of Hebrews, and that's to draw near to God. And verse 6 is no different. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. The idea of drawing near to God is moving towards God in worship and prayer. Not only that, but the verse also speaks about those who seek Him. Drawing near to God and seeking God run parallel to one another. The Hebrew word to seek meant to be a path. 
underfoot. It is kind of this idea of, of being intense on what you are doing and what you are looking for in that seeking and that you do it often so that you be a path down. Now, I'm a hunter. Um, I haven't got to hunt at all, really, in the state of Illinois, but I love to hunt. And I used to love to go deer hunting, and I would go out ahead of time and scout and see where the deer are at. You know how you see where the deer are at? They beat a path to water holes. They wear a path down or where they're feeding. It's called a game trail. It's a spot that's traveled over and over and over and over again. So here's the picture that's being painted for us. We should be seeking God so often that you've beaten a path down to Him. That's the picture. Drawing near and seeking God don't happen by accident. It takes deliberate and intentional effort. You're not going to wake up one day, one morning, you're not going to wake up and say, well, looky there, I drew near to God. Not sure how that happened. Just happened. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And no one ever seeks after God. That's the problem. Unless He first seeks after you. Romans chapter 3 verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 to 31. However, once you've responded in faith to God, you must put forth some effort to seek the Lord. To please God, we must deliberately draw near and seek Him. Let's be clear. We do not seek after God because of the reward. We seek after God because He is the reward. That's the reason we seek God. Not because we're going to get some great reward, but because God is the reward. Knowing God is the reward of seeking God. This is exactly what God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. God told Aaron that he was his portion and his inheritance. The psalmist declared, Whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Church, to have God is to have everything and to not have God yet possess everything that this world could ever offer is to have absolutely nothing. God is everything. Our goal in life is to please God. And this begins in our heart. And to do that, we must draw near to Him and seek Him. And there's one essential element that anyone must have in order to please God. And that's faith. We must have faith to please God. Let's focus in on verse 6, and in particular two words. It says, without faith it is impossible, and whoever draws near must believe. Faith is not some cute little thing that we can just be like, oh, well, look at my, look at my faith. We can state it neg- negatively that indeed without faith we can't please God or we can state it positively that only with faith we will please God. So the author says that you, you can't please God without faith. And then he gives the foundation of that statement because he connects it with what follows by using the word for. He says, for whoever comes to God must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. Let me ask you something. If someone does not trust you or believe you or they question your integrity, are you pleased with that person? Probably not, because we're typically not pleased if people call us a liar. I doubt if somebody looks at you and says, you're a liar, you're like, oh, well, thank you. That's, that's very pleasing to me. Makes me feel great inside. It, it doesn't feel good. When you speak the truth and someone says, you're a liar, it's not pleasing to us. We know this, and we practice this on a human level. Let me ask you this. What does God think? When he is the God of all truth, who cannot lie, and we say, God, you're a liar. You say, well, I'd never call God a liar. Really? Never doubted his word? You're calling him a liar. How insulting to God. How arrogant do we have to be to imply that we know more than God? And know better than God knows. When we refuse to trust God, we're saying, God, you're wrong, and I am the one that's right. What an audacious claim to make. So if we want to please God, then we must have faith, and we must know that when, that, that what faith means, and we must then live by faith every single day. And so if you say, if you want to please God, you must live by faith. If I say that to you, do you know what that means? If I say, well, you want to please God? You have to live by faith. What does that mean? The great news is, the author of Hebrews tells us what he's talking about. And he says, there are two aspects of a faith that pleases God. First, he's already defined faith. We looked at that, what, two weeks ago? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He's defined that this is what faith is. We looked at that already. And now he says, you want to please God, you have to have faith. And here's Two aspects of a faith that pleases God. First, faith believes that God exists. Now, it's interesting that this is what the author starts with. After all, he knows his audience. His audience believes in the existence of God. Additionally, regardless of statistics, most people believe in some sort of existence of God in some shape or form. However, let me be clear, though many would say they believe God exists practically, they live lives that do not bear that out. So they say, well, yeah, we believe God exists, but I'm going to live my life in a way that shows that God does not exist. The first level is believing God exists. It's simply believing that God is. And that's not necessarily a given in today's culture. In fact, today's culture does not even do as well as the demons because there is not one single demon in all of the world who's an atheist. The demons believe God and tremble. In fact, demons are Trinitarian. So, faith must go beyond simply believing that God is. So faith goes beyond believing that God is. Faith uh, goes beyond saying, well, I believe that God exists. Faith is the belief that God is the God of the Bible. That He is all the Bible describes Him to be. And so God, the creator of the universe, who spoke everything into existence. God is the one who brought us 
into existence and formed us in our mother's womb. God is a personal God who takes great care of us. Not only that, but God is a miracle working God who parted the Red Sea, who gave the Israelites quail and manna in the desert, who parted the Jordan River, who brought down the walls of Jericho, who made time stand still. We must have faith that God is a worker of miracles, that He is the one that the Bible describes, that this is God, that God does exist exactly as described in the Scripture. We must believe that God is the God of the New Testament and that His purpose and His plan is revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus is God's final Word and His ultimate revelation. Faith believes that God exists in what the Scripture says about Him. Remember, these people are facing the threat of persecution. And when you've taken a step of faith and you get persecuted for it, that's when Satan attacks you. He attacks you even stronger. That's when he whispers his lies into your ear. Oh, you trusted God by taking that step of faith and look where it got you. If God was real, then why would he treat you this way? If God was real, why would He allow this to happen to you? If God was real, why do bad things happen? If God was real, why are there babies starving to death? If God was real, why is abortion so rampant? If God was real, why, 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 why? We can come up with all kinds of reasons. If God was real, why doesn't He stop this? Why is there evil? Why is there this? Why is there that? The problem is many times we believe the lie of Satan. We buy into it. Faith believes that God exists exactly as Scripture describes Him. Remember what they said as Jesus was hanging on the cross and they mocked Him and they said, He trusts in God. Let God rescue Him now. If He delights in Him, He would rescue Him. That is how Satan works trying to get us to doubt God's love, doubt God's power, and doubt God's very existence. If God is not loving or if God is weak, or if God is not sovereign over every single aspect of this universe, then He is not God at all. And that's what Satan tries to get you to doubt. And so when the author says, we must believe that God exists, he's saying that we must believe that God exists precisely how He is revealed to us in the Scriptures, not how we make Him out to be. Now here's the thing, no one can know who God is unless God reveals himself to them. To believe in God as you make him out to be in your own mind is to worship an idol. That is a God of your own imagination. We must believe in the God of the Bible. The scripture reveals to us who God is, that he is a God of judgment and a God of love, and that he is the God of mercy and kindness and grace as well as holiness and wrath and Faith believes that God exists exactly how He's described. Why is that important to us? Why is it important to us that, that we have faith and that we believe that God exists as described in the Bible? Because when we're going through hard times or suffering or some sort of trial, whatever it might be, it's easier to invent a God that is a figment of our imagination than the God of the Bible. It's easier to say, well, well, God would never do that. God would never allow that. It's easier to have a friendlier God and a nicer God who treats us like the world is full of unicorns and rainbows because that sounds just so much better than to look at Scripture and see the God of the Bible. 
and bow down to Him who is sovereign over every single thing, every aspect of our life. And so when God permits a loved one to die of cancer, or a young one to have their life taken from them, or how about when you lose everything that you have, including all of your ten children in an accident, and you're even stripped of your health, it's not easy to be like Job and say, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not easy to say that. However, it's in those times, those times of def- desperation, those times of hardship, those times when we do not know where to turn, that we must believe that God is, that God exists. The God of the Bible is a God that we believe in and have faith in. Some say, how in the world can we have faith in the midst of such terrible circumstances? How do I have faith when all we wanted was a child and your wife miscarries? How do you have faith when your baby girl is born so early you don't know whether she's going to make it or not? How do you have faith when your father is murdered on the streets for $11? How do you have faith when you have spent 10 years building a ministry doing what God calls you to do? How do you have faith when it's gone in an instant? How do you have faith when one day your child nearly dies in your living room and the next day a tornado tears through your town? How do you have faith? And the answer is, what else am I supposed to do? What else are you supposed to do, Christian? What is the alternative to you having faith? Jesus was teaching some hard, hard things. A bunch of his disciples left and stopped following him. And Jesus didn't say, well, you know, I guess I better quit teaching that hard stuff. They can't handle it. Instead, you know what he did? He asked the twelve this question. Do you want to go away as well? That's what he said to them. All these disciples leave and he turns and looks at them and says, do you want to go too? That's the alternative to faith. Walk away. Oh, Peter, you got to love him. This is what he says. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Don't miss it, church. These disciples, just a bunch of ordinary men. They probably flunked out of rabbinical school. Had no rabbi to follow. You either followed a rabbi or you didn't. And along comes Jesus. He says, hey, come follow me. And they did. And they said, we got nowhere else to go. When we're faced with trials and heartache and tears and hardships and the horrors of this life, we may not like it. We may not like the teaching. Where else are you going to go? You can go to the world. Live it up, drown all your problems at the bottom of a bottle or some sort of addiction and never be satisfied. But if you turn your back on God in the middle of the problems of this life, you've robbed yourself of the only source that can possibly give you hope and comfort. You see, church, faith does not let go. Faith does not run. Faith does not fail. Faith holds tight to God, believing that God exists 
exactly how he is described in the Word of God. Not only does faith believe that God exists, but faith believes that God rewards those who seek Him. The root of God being a rewarder of those who seek Him is His goodness. If Satan can't get you to doubt God exists, then he will do all he can to try to get you to doubt the goodness of God. If God really loved you and cared about you, then why is this happening to you? Or maybe God does care, or He just can't do anything about it. Then He's not God. Faith does not give in to this kind of thought process. Instead, faith believes that God is rewarder. Because I've sought Him. Faith believes that God loves us and cares about us even when we are suffering. And that God is able to deliver us if that is what He desires to do. How do we practice this? How do we, how do we put into practice the idea that faith believes God rewards those who seek Him? Just to be clear, when it speaks of seeking God, it's not talking about some sort of complacent, half-hearted, half-interested, wildly-minded, pleasure-seeking of God. It is to diligently look into God. We must be earnest and persevere and endure. So does this mean that when we are in a circumstance, we just repeat this phrase over and over again? No, God rewards those who seek Him. God rewards those who seek Him. God rewards those. Is that what it's talking about? Do we just try to convince ourselves of this truth? What do we do? I submit to you three ways. We make this a reality. That God rewards those who seek Him. First, we trust in Christ alone for salvation. We trust in Christ alone for salvation. As we've said before, saving faith is not a mere mental ascent to believe in Jesus Christ giving you salvation. Instead, it's an issue of faith, which is relying personally on Christ as our only hope for salvation. The verse says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That is not just knowing that Jesus came into the world. It is a turning from relying on yourself and your own good works as a basis of your salvation and relying on Christ alone for salvation. It is not trusting in some sort of religious ritual or trusting in your baptism or trusting in some sort of ceremony or some sort of vow that you took. It does not believe that God will somehow grade on the curve and that you're going to make it in because you're better than the average person. It is to solely trust in the blood of Jesus Christ as the only payment for your sin. It is a belief in the promises of God that, that anyone can trust in God. His Son. And they will have eternal life. It knows God's wrath is satisfied for those who trust in the blood of Christ. You do not have this foundation for your faith. You cannot please God. And you will not believe God in times of trial. You must have that foundation. Trust in Christ alone for salvation. So, so faith believes that God will reward those who seek Him. And it begins that you trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Second, faith is not meritorious, but it is how we receive God's blessing. I want to be clear. The faith does not earn or somehow merit eternal life, nor any other blessing for that matter. That turns faith into a work. And it puts God into, into, the, uh, into the submission of humans. Faith is a gift from God and not a work. And the gift of faith, 
and the promises of God obligates him to save the believer not based on the merit of our faith, but based upon God's merit. His honor and His glory and His commitment to His own glory. We deserve nothing from God. None of us deserve a thing from God. What we deserve is judgment and condemnation. And to act like we have some sort of merit in ourselves where we don't deserve is to declare ourselves righteous. At least more righteous than other people and say, well, I'm more righteous than this guy. However, God by His grace offers us mercy and a pardon to anyone who trusts. Not in their own merit, but who trusts in the merit of Christ. Faith is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God given to us by God's grace. Now here is what is crazy. When God rewards our good works, when He blesses us, through this faith, He is rewarding what He's doing in us. And not our own works. So God is working in us, as Philippians tells us, to will and to work for His good pleasure. So here's the thing. All of those blessings that we receive and all of the good that God does in our lives, including the eternal life that He gives to us, comes as a result of His grace alone. And He does this. You know why? So we have no choice but to boast in the Lord. The whole point is that any merit that is in us comes only by the grace of God, not from us. And we come to God confessing that we deserve nothing But look at the grace that He's given to us. This is implicit in what it says when it says that God rewards those who seek Him. You get that? He rewards those who seek Him. It doesn't say God rewards those who seek His rewards. Augustine said, What what have you that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if it's not a gift? So our faith does not earn us anything. But it's a gift from God. And it's how we receive the blessing of God. So trust in Christ alone for salvation and understand that you didn't earn it in any way, shape, or form. There was no merit in you at all, but by your faith, which is a gift from God, and how He chooses to bless us. With that said, number three, rewards of faith are in eternity. Rewards of faith are in eternity. Last week we spent some time talking about Abel and his faith. Abel did not live a very long and happy life, blessed life or anything like that on earth because he was murdered by his brother Cain. However, his life was blessed and Cain's was cursed, even though Cain lived long and had earthly success. The Bible is filled with people that did not have earthly blessing but had strong faith. Even Jesus said he had nowhere to lay his head. Even if we look at the life of Enoch. Sure, Enoch lived 365 years. That seems like a very long time, right? But he is by far the shortest life of all of the pre-flood patriarchs. His father, Enoch's father, lived to be 962 years old. Enoch's son, you may have heard of him, Methuselah, lived to be 969 years old. Enoch, he only lived to be 365. 
He's a godly man, but he only lived one third as long as they lived. The reward of faith is not necessarily a long and happy life on this earth. But the reward is life with God in heaven. Enoch being taken up into heaven is an illustration of what God will do for those who are alive when Jesus returns. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Even for those who die physically as believers, there is a sense in which we will not see death. There are there were the, the words of Jesus to Martha when she's at the tomb of Lazarus, her brother, and Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then John, that's in John 11, 25 and 26. Here's the thing. Faith understands that its rewards are in eternity. And the reward is indeed eternal life in heaven. Not the good life here and now. And so, we have seen our goal in life is to please God. And that to please God, we must have faith. Lastly, let's notice this. Faith is a continuous action that covers a lifetime. We've touched on this in previous messages from this chapter, but faith is not just a once and done deal. We don't have faith for salvation and then stop having faith. In other words, we don't trust in God for salvation and then stop trusting in God after salvation. Enoch's life illustrates this for us. Not one time does Genesis 5 mention the faith of Enoch. You know what it does tell us? Two times in Genesis 5 it mentions um, that Enoch walked with God. It says he walked with God. Now the translators have rendered that phrase um, to Enoch please God mainly to be take, uh, mainly so it's taken less anthropomorphic, which is just a phrase saying um, given godly characteristics of or given, given man's characteristics to God. However, since it is impossible to please God without faith, it stands to reason that Enoch walked by faith since he pleased God. For 300 years Enoch walked by faith, pleasing God, obtaining God's testimony until God took him home. And what this reveals to us is that we walk by faith. It's a walk on earth. And that if we want to please God, we must walk by faith. And this should be a part of our everyday life. I want you to think about walking for a moment. Walking with God. Like it says in Genesis chapter 5. What does that look like? Because it's a word picture for us. There's nothing really spectacular about walking. Not really, I mean, just walking. But I, I doubt you look at people like, whoa, spectacular walk on that person. Like maybe if you're watch, watching a speed walking or whatever, but there's nothing real great about it. If we were writing a book about Enoch, 
Enoch, the man that walked with God. Probably doesn't sound too thrilling. It's not sensational. However, in this case of Scripture, we're called to pay attention to a man that walked with God. He walked with God. That sounds doable. And when we walk somewhere, it takes a while. It's not the fastest way to get somewhere from point A to point B. But it's a very common description of the Christian's life. Listen to how John Bunyan describes it in Pilgrim's Progress. To walk with God means that our lives are in step with God, yielded in obedience to Him, headed in the in the direction he chooses. Walking also implies intimacy and fellowship. Walking with a friend is a time to talk, to get to know one another, and to share the things that are happening in your lives. Walking with God is a daily process of growing more intimate with Him as you share everything in your life with Him and learn more of His ways. When it comes to walking, no one can do it for you. You have to do it. On your own, it requires discipline. It requires training to walk with God. It takes initiative. It takes time. It takes effort. If you refuse to take time to get alone with God in His Word and apply it to your lives, then you're not walking with God because you're not spending time with God. If you will not memorize His Word and apply it to the situations of your life, you're not walking with God by faith with God. You see, the same application of our physical life applies to our spiritual life. If you refuse to spend any time with your spouse, if you never speak with them, you never spend time alone, you never try to discover what they want, then your relationship with your spouse, trust me, will suffer. You're going to have a hard time. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, but you've grown spiritually lazy, and you never spend any time with Him, and, and you're not walking with God, and you're just kind of, ah, I'll just do my own thing. I'll go get a little bit from, from the pastor on Sunday morning. Surely he can feed me all I need to be fed, and that's all I need, and I don't need to walk with God any other time during the week. If that's you, if you've grown spiritually lazy, i got some words for you. Knock it off! Stop! Too many Christians are there. Get off your spiritually Lazy, rear end, and do something. Get on the path of walking with God. Quit allowing everything else to take away your time and say, oh, well, I'll do it tomorrow, or I'll do it next week, or I'll do it after the kids are done doing their thing. No, you do it now. You walk with God every single day. You spend time with God by faith. You memorize His Scripture. You allow it to penetrate your life. You walk with God, that's the idea. It's a continuous action that lasts a lifetime. Faith is a continuous action where we daily depend on God, step by step, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, and it goes on for a lifetime. Listen, church, in conclusion, Enoch lived in a time where sin ran rampant. Some people look at the world today and there's like sins everywhere. It's running rampant. But he walked with God for over 300 years. 
300 years of faithfulness to God. How? How did he do it? Enoch's goal in life was to please God. That was his goal. His goal in life was to please God, and he had the faith to please God because he believed that God existed and that he believed that God rewarded those who seek him. And he did it for his entire life. Every day. Set up. Time to please God again today. Time to walk by faith today. Time to trust in God today. Time to spend time with God today. We often wonder why our faith wanes and why it's so weak. Why we struggle. People come into my office. I've had conversations with people before. Talk about sin or problems they're struggling with. And I ask them, how much time are you spending with God? I'm not. There's your problem. People today talk about teenagers and, and well, oh man, our, our world's in bad shape and teens this and blah, 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 blah. You know the number one thing that keeps teens from falling away from their faith? Reading the Bible. Number one. Above, far above anything else. Reading their Bible. Walking with God. Spending time with God. The story is told. A little girl who went to Sunday school and she heard the account of Enoch. She went home and told her mother, You know, mother, he used to go for walks with God. The mother replied, That's wonderful, dear. How did it end? Well, mother, one day they walked on and on. And they got so far that God said to Enoch, You're a long ways from home. You'd better come in and stay with me. How can we have faith that's pleasing to God? By walking by faith. That's my challenge to you, church. Are you walking by faith? Even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of suffering, you can trust that He's with you. You can trust that He's always got your best interest at hand. He knows what he's doing. Even in suffering, you can trust that he's with you. You must walk by faith. And one day, when you're walking by faith, indeed, he may say to you, you're a long way from home. You better come in and stay with me. Are you walking by faith this morning? Perhaps you would say, Pastor, my faith is weak. Maybe you need prayer this morning. I'd be glad to pray with you and you can pray right where you're at. But I ask you this morning, you walking by faith? Are you like Enoch? Is it evident in your life? What are you doing? Be walking with 
God this morning. Is your life pleasing to God? Let's close the prayer. Father, thank